Hello and welcome to the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. This week we're going to talk about The Haunted Palace. Please check our website www.goldenagehorror.com for more information. So, dude, we, this week we talked about The Haunted Palace and we watched The Haunted Palace. Just watched it. Just watched it. We're trying something different where we're in the same room. And we just watched the movie we're going to talk about it. Real fresh. Real fresh. We, I even took notes. Yeah, we took a light. We took a whole <laughs> four, 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 four notes, notes, but they're very important. Um, do you want to do the recap, or do you want me to do it? Um, so, I mean, well, if you've read The Curious Case of Charles Dexter Ward mm-hmm. and read The Haunted Palace, you don't need a recap because you already know the whole story. Correct. This is a, basically, this is, this is a, I mean, on the scale of uh, Corman Price adaptations, it's on the more faithful side. I feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it has the main conceit of the plot of Child Sex and War. Yeah, which is that the the Lovecraft story where a uh, uh, Puritan era or Revolutionary War era merchant who's like into alchemy and black magic is murdered by a bunch of townsfolk and then years later his descendant resurrects him from his corpse and there's a, there's a spirit painting and some other stuff and he's a he's a cannibal murderer but yeah i mean that's the, there's some of that's in the story in the movie i mean right the, the like the, the you know the loose bits are different but the main point of ancestor descendant being possessed by ancestor that's all real that's also there mm-hmm. or being replaced for in this case it's actually just possession yeah now the the i guess this movie does actually take a, a fair amount of additions because there's the uh well, let's just do the traditional plot recap, I guess, real fast. Which is that, um, as we said, um, Joseph Kerwin is a uh, Arkham, Massachusetts um, uh, man. Yeah, they don't really a, go into eccentric nobleman who who lives this this haunted palace, which is 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 um, in the movie drawn. And uh, and the set sets were designed to emulate the Pope home, um, the haunted palace, um, and uh, he's in the first uh, scene of the movie. He's shown to have uh, bedazzled a young blonde. Hexed is the word. Hexed a young blonde girl from the village, and um, the townspeople respond by rescuing her and burning him alive. And years later, his descendant. Charles Dexter Ward moves into his haunted palace, having received it uh, as an inheritance. Moves in with his pretty young wife. Uh, the painting of Joseph Kerwin on the wall and the spirits in the house possess Ward, and he uh, takes revenge on the descendants of the victims of, I mean, the descendants of the people who murdered Joseph Kerwin. And um, there are only a couple of them. Yeah, only two. He, he didn't have time to rip off the other names on his list. <laughs> yeah. And then um, also he's trying to raise something from a pit, and he gets awful fresh with his wife a couple times. Yeah. Um, don't, and there's zombies. He has zombie service. There's actually a lot of plot threads in this movie, now that I'm saying it. There's a lot of stuff going on. Like, I, I just gave you a full description of the movie, but did not mention the 110-year-old curse where made every people have ham on their faces. Right, and then all the ham-faced people. Yeah. Who, like, corner them and then are never seen in the movie again. Yeah, they're, like, intermittently, there's, like, this there's like this curse going on where, like, one of the one of the people, like, one of the descendants of the townsfolk of the mob who, who burned uh, Joseph Kerwin alive. Who all got cursed. Who all got cursed. All the all the a whole townsfolk got whole all the townsfolk got cursed, but one of them like in a shocking moment like reveals his webbed hand 
you know? Yeah. And, like, stuff like that's just, like, spread throughout, but it's, like, has no real bearing on the rest of the plot. It's just to show that Kerwin was actually a bad guy? Yeah, I, I guess. Sort of. I mean... They, they did burn him alive. Yeah. It doesn't really seem to be important to establish that... I mean, Kerwin is a bad guy when he comes back. Right. It's not like you need to establish that he was a... A bad guy to begin with. A bad guy while he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to read for the townsfolk to hate him. I mean, they really do. That's true. I guess they didn't need a reason for him to hate him. They, they wouldn't be remembering him otherwise. Yeah, they would just be like... Who is that guy? I don't remember. That gentleman looks familiar. Mm-hmm. How do we all know what he looks like still? Who knows? Do we all check in every day? Give a little tap to the Charles... To the J- Kerwin painting? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there's like... That, that painting must be a few other places besides the Haunted Palace. Uh, you think if they hated the man, they just wouldn't keep it up in like their town hall. Yeah, well, I guess what they're afraid of is that since this, this town has the, has the thing where like your great-grandchildren look exactly like you. Exactly. So like. they want to know if, like, his great grandchildren ever come wandering in. They want to know what they look like. <laughs> right. That's just how this town works. Yeah. Like, everyone looks exactly like their ancestors. Every male looks exactly like the male kids came before. I mean, the female ancestors might look the same, but we never we saw don't, any we, of them. They're, they're irrelevant. Let's be honest. They don't. They just don't come up. <laughs> we never saw them. They have no bearing on the fate of the town in this movie. Um, there are two speaking women in this movie. Yeah. But only one speaks at a time. Yeah. Basically, like while one is like while one is alive, the other may speak, but when like the other one is dead and revived, she never talks again. Mm. Well, it's just there's just no no need. But the zombie, the other zombies talk plenty. Yeah, they do, but they're most in the movie. Sure, they probably they, they probably didn't want any have any confusion with two women talking at the same time, so that's why they waited till the end of the movie to bring back Hester. Yeah, telling asked, which is a reference to um, uh, the Lovecraft story from Beyond. The lead, the lead scientist there is named Crawford Tellinghast, I believe. Oh, it's a good name also. Tellinghast, yeah, it's a good name. So, yeah. They also named the tavern, like the Burning Man Tavern. Yeah, which is, yeah. A little on the nose. I think it's exactly right. A little memorial for... Well, they were like, yeah, let's not, never forget. Never forget, we burn this man to death. <laughs> on the they, everyone has that sticker on the back of their uh, horseless carriage. <laughs> on their horse carriage. On the back of their carriage. Horse carriage. On the back of their horse carriage. It's a picture of a tree with a man burning on yeah. it. And then the sad baby with a hand on his face. Oh, I can't see. I got no eyes. Except for that one who was just like really deformed or just really possessed or something. Mm. You never really saw him. You well, saw... the one where the, he was feeding the meat to him through yeah. the door? Well, that's not the one that came out and wrestled yeah, with the fire? But it's like in pure darkness. Yeah. So it's like, I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, so he, like, yeah, there's, like, 50 plot threads in here that, like, never go anywhere. There's a lot of, like, when you start to think about it, you're like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this movie. Like, they, like, they really, like, threw the whole sink in this movie. Like, there's a revenge plot where he, he literally is ripping off one name at a time. But they, don't, like, don't have time to finish that. Yeah, he just they just They just don't even, they can't there's, even get to it. There's at least, like, one or two more names on there. He's like, mm. There's three more names on there. Then he's like, ah, I, we don't have enough movie to burn the rest of these men to death. Yeah, because they wanted to have the resurrection scene. They wanted to have, they wanted to have the woman in danger at the end. Yeah. They wanted to have the Cthulhu monster, which was, is like yeah. a weird four-armed man. Yeah. Yep. So this is, as we were, we were talking about this during the movie, this is, as far as I remember anyway, or as I'm aware, is the first uh, Lovecraft adaptation on film. Right. Unless I'm, unless I'm forgetting something. But I mean, it's still like pretty early. Like it's, Yeah, 1963, so Lovecraft died in like the late 40s or early 50s. And he was like obscure he, about it. He died in ignominy pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so it's like... 
they're probably one of the first people to start mining it. Mm. Yeah, and it was um, Corman, who produced, the, produced these movies, wanted to make a Lovecraft story to cut up the pose, um, but the studio insisted on naming it The Haunted Palace because... and adding that bit about that, that literal line from The Haunted Palace at the end. Right. I, and I guess they must have had some influence earlier in the piece, too, because, the like I said, the if you read The Haunted Palace, which is a 48-line poem by Edgar Allan Poe, they're like the language that he uses to describe the palace does bring to mind the design of the palace in the movie. So I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just like Gothic Castle looks like Gothic Castle and right. then you describe a Gothic Castle, you're gonna it's gonna be a Gothic Castle, you know. Yeah, if you're looking if you're looking for a Gothic Castle, you're gonna see a Gothic Castle. Yeah, because Poe's talking about a Gothic Castle and this movie has a Gothic Castle in it. So. If it lo- if it walks like a Gothic Castle, yeah. And it cracks like a Gothic Castle, you know. It's on fire. <laughs> oh yeah, on fire like a Gothic Castle. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they probably should have, like, tried to burn him in the death again after, like, the first curse. You think he wouldn't just, like, recurse them for another hundred years? Well, what is he going to do? Put more ham on them? <laughs> like, curse forever. Now you have another, now you have another ham on your face. <laughs> Why? Well, aren't they cursed forever anyway? Or was there a time limit on that curse? I don't know. Why would they kill him? Like, I guess if they're cursed forever, like, what's the point in killing him? Well, because he's going to, like, he started murdering them. He, uh, like, pushed one down the street, poured gasoline on him, and threw a match at him. <laughs> so, like, like, pretty, like, how? Okay, so he's just, like, sitting in a house, which is, like, abandoned? Or did he, like, he murder the people inside that house? I don't know. No, he was just in a doorway. Yeah. He just, like, waited in a doorway until... But he opened the door. Did he? Yeah. I thought he was just in the door. No, like, I'm pretty sure he opened the door. Wait for that guy to walk by. I thought he opened the door, because he's like, surprise, Vincey's here. My, I was. I thought it was more weird that he was just like in the corner while those guys wrestled, and then just like <laughs> stepped out of the corner and ripped a, the top sheet of his <laughs> of his murder list. He's like perfectly as planned. Yeah, that that seemed like. Like was he there the whole time, and the person upstairs didn't want to kill him? <laughs> These are all good questions, Andrew. We'll have to like, Vince the price and see what he has to say. <laughs> I like the. I especially like like he was just sitting in that house. Like, I know this guy who's next on my list. I definitely know that he's gonna come by. Mm-hmm. Or did he just wait? Like, was it, like, did he was he waiting there? Like, the fourth guy came by. He's like, I can't kill the fourth guy. I mean, uh, being like a uh, evil sorcerer, his powers are real defined. Oh, yeah. So maybe he has like power over the hand people to make them do as he wishes. Okay, he he didn't do very much sorcery to be fair. No, but he did curse them. <laughs> True. <laughs> I think later in the movie he throws fire rocks at a thing. No, he just kind of like throws magic powder, and magic powder makes fire. Yeah, he throws magic powder. So, um, was it was he supposed to have gas lit? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they had, they had gas jets laid down in his, his medieval torture dungeon or, I mean, or if that was magic air. I mean... Colorless flame air. That's what I'm wondering. Like, was that intentional? Like, did yeah. they have the technology back Maybe then? they just didn't have the audio technology to remove the sound of gas jets from the... Uh, I mean, it wasn't even... I mean, it just looked like gas jets. Also sounded like gas jets. Like, right. you hear the gas, like... And it just looked like he wasn't igniting anything. He's clearly just like... They wanted a permanent flame. Mm. I wonder if that was like... The flame had gone out a couple of times, and they're just like, "We need a permanent solution for this." Yeah, very possible. So it's just like, let's have. Well, we, I think they just probably wanted to come on on cue. Yeah, we need something that ignites immediately. Yeah, and we need something that ignites fiercely immediately. Also, it clearly looks like gas. I mean, they could have like sc- sprinkled some something in there to make it look like he was lighting something. Mm. That was the weird part because it was clearly not lighting anything. I mean these these movies are famous for their speed. Oh yeah, which they're made. So like, I think they they make them so quickly, and they know they know that the thing is too. They that I think there's a real understanding that fifty percent or more of the people who watch these movies 
just aren't going to care about details like that. No, you're they just that, don't care at all. You're saying that most people aren't going to like st- look at this like second and a half scene and go, "Wait a minute, what is he lighting on? <laughs> yeah, it? he's just making nope. fire." And in a, in a way that a lot of movies don't, I think, don't understand is that there's just not. There are people who notice those details on the first watch. There, yeah. there are people who watch these movies closely later and catch those details. Yeah. But there are so many people who just don't care. And these movies are just made. Right. These movies are just made for, for to make money and for fun. Like they're just they're just quick. I don't like. I don't think these movies were artless exactly, but right. they were not made with the pretension of being great art. Also, that those pillars neither add nor subtract from the art at all. Right, and they understand that. Yeah. Or there are some. Well, there are movies where, like Wes Anderson or whatever, famously obsesses over every detail of in the movies. Sure. Even though you could get away with less, right? Without any real detriment. But that's just some people are just like obsessive, right? And they're just like, then. But that, in in a sense, that sort of like creates a sense, a sense of like completeness to every scene, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, everything is where it should be, and maybe if you don't notice it, maybe the idea is that you still, you still notice it. If you know what I'm saying. Mm. Like you don't see that, you know, this toothbrush is in this place and everything is arranged in this way, but it creates a sense of space that you do actually notice. Yeah. And then maybe in further play, like watches, you're like, oh, that thing is there because of this reason. And this weird obsessive person, you, you earn something from watching things multiple times rather than lose something. Yeah. I mean... There's something to be said for that. I just think that they were just really aware of these commercial properties. Yeah, they, they, they were cranking these out. Yeah, and they, and they just they know that like a movie is, I mean, franchises were always around. Franchises, yeah. and, franchises are not a new thing. Franchises were not a new thing, and there's there's that 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 there's degrees of. I mean, you know, I obviously I like horror movies quite a bit, but they're not always made to be like <laughs> high art. Yeah, they're just not. Or low art, yeah. even. They're, they're made to... I mean, these are these are vehicles to make money. Right. So, you know, you gotta weigh the... How complete you want a scene to be versus how... How much money you want to make. How much, yeah, how much, how much time you, time and money you want to spend making sure that... Make it coming up with like a practical effect for the gas jets at the end right. of the movie. Like, do we really need to really spend the extra time to put bowls on these to hide the gas jets? Yeah. Or, like, who cares? No one will notice. Right. I I'm mean, sure. and obviously we're... we're um, Extrapolating a lot here, right? Maybe you, they, maybe this was like they carefully thought that out, and they really wanted. The, they thought those looked great, or like, oh, it's like magic fire. Yeah, you know. But. Or maybe they weren't anticipating someone watching something fifty-three years later and being like, oh, "Well, excuse me." So, what do you think about um, the acting in this movie? It is very, it's Corman acting. Mm-hmm. It is like, for the most, except for that one guy who, that one actor who is like the lead angry villager yeah who was like a composite 50s actor mm-hmm. or like you know that kind of like you'd see him like I'm a black and white actor yeah. I act with this intonation yeah he was sort of a low low, low rent uh, Gary Cooper or something like that yeah he's like I'm John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart and all those people rolled up in the one man I'm this amalgamation yeah. of the black and white leading man yep he talked like a black and white leading man yep but everyone else talked and they're very like I've said this before these films feel a lot like stage plays yeah well they're definitely doing the yeah and you were you were actually when you said that you were talking about the, the movies from the 30s were you not were you no I was, about, I was I was I specifically about uh, the pit and the pendulum oh okay when it felt very much like a stage play I might have said about the 30s too I feel like I feel like I remember but I'm, maybe you know I could be 
because partially the way they're shot and the way they're acted, like the way, yeah. like there's often like wide shots and like people are moving around stages mm. a lot without yeah. cutting. Yeah, it feels like a like a stage set. Yeah, I see what you mean. And they they have they. It sounds like people would be acting in theater. I mean, Vincent Price brings a lot to that with his Vincentness. Yeah. I think that this is one of the, as far as the acting in these movies goes, the the Corman Poe movies. I think this is the, if might be the best acted one. Yeah, there's definitely no like no like horrible actors in this movie. Yeah, um, I guess the Tomb of Lygia was also pretty good acting wise, but um, yeah, I th- I think this and and there are parts in this movie where Vincent Price's performance is really subdued. Yeah, which is different for him. <laughs> I mean, it's it's comparable to the Witchfinder General, which we'll watch eventually, eventually. which is um, famous for having like a really subdued like um, performance where Vincent Price does not chew the scenery. Well, honestly, well, because that's because Kerwin has to chew the scenery, but Ward has to be yeah, Ward has to be a little more subdued, right? Yeah, so it kind of forced him to relax. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning of the movie, the first scene that when he's Kerwin. He's got like a quiet malevolence, but when he returns, he's just he's like back to Vincent Price. He's, gonna, he's like, you can't, you can't burn me at this tree because I've already eaten it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. What are What are your notes? My notes. Okay, so my notes. So I, I did. Oh, I didn't write down. So this most important note. Um, I'm really a fan of the waist pockets. Mm-hmm. I like I like that look. One thumb in a waist pocket, and then you do a little like shimmy back and forth, and that's like a casual conversation thing that that doctor did a lot. Doctor yeah. Willett. So Andrew's a big fan of bringing waistcoats back. Yeah, for men, it's specifically for the pot or women too. For women, sure. But yeah. I'm just a fan of the pocket shimmy. Sure. I like. Um, I mean, you could tell Kerwin did that too. He didn't have the he didn't have the full waistcoat like the doctor. No, but right? he he did a sideways. Yeah, style. he just had a regular vest. But Kerwin was Kerwin always had the. Um, in, in addition to his gray skin and his general malevolence, he also put his hands in his pockets a lot. Mm. His I, thumbs I, in his pockets. I didn't notice that. Charles Dexter Ward, I don't think did that. That's cool. I don't think he did, at least. Like he always had, like it was, it created an air of like calm and confidence that Kerwin had that Ward didn't. Yeah, that makes sense. So I wrote down. So at the beginning of the movie, there's a spider. Yep. Spinning a web. I wrote it down because of like, is that gonna be important later? It wasn't. No, it made not. Well, there was a spider in one scene where Mrs. Ward was like, oh, a spider. Unless, unless you look at um, Joseph Kerwin as being some sort of. Spider, spider spinning a web of plans that capture the townsfolk. But I mean, that does not apply to like any horror villain. Almost, you could say sure. Any will not like Frankenstein's monster. He doesn't spin a web. I mean, does he not though? I think. Oh, I meant like a web of plans. Okay. Like there's like some greater plot to like, right? Put hand on people's faces and then resurrect a <laughs> four-armed green guy. I guess the spider can be an easy metaphor for someone being caught, prey being caught in the web of a predator. Mm-hmm. I wrote. Um, what is this? She's been hexed. Very important. A lot of victimized women. Yeah, I mean, we. I mean, our new ongoing Bechdel test segment. Will it pass? No, never. <laughs> we'll never. We'll never going to find one that passes. So just get that right out of your heads. Like I said earlier, two women did not even talk in the same scene. I mean, it's hard enough to find that in movies made before nineteen, like nineteen. I'm sorry. It's hard to find that in movies <laughs> made in 2016. That's <laughs> earlier, but especially like a movie made in. You know the '60s, and for a low-budget movie meant to appeal to young boys, I don't yeah. think you're gonna find a lot of. I mean, two women. I mean, clearly, women had talked to each other in their life. It's not like this is gonna scare these young boys. Yeah. Well, who knows? 
Uh, <laughs> also, like I think it was the idea she's been hexed. Like clearly, she couldn't have gone to Charles X of her own volition. She had to have been hexed. Yeah. Well, he was. He's the. I mean, she was actually hexed. No, I actually like this because this movie creates sort of a bridge between the pa- the past of horror movies and the future of horror movies. Whereas, like, there's sort of in the '60s and '70s, there's this real like satanic panic among horror movies. Yeah. Which sort of ties into that, but really, what we're looking at is a sort of a, re- a, a recapture of the swarthy foreigner, with his castle that he brings over from Europe, yeah, and his weird clothes. I you mean, know, he's dressed in like a really like he's dressed in like a high Georgian style versus like the colonial style. Right, he's got like the he's got the little ruffles yeah, and everything. Right, exactly. So there, this is like a swarthy foreigner stealing our women. So we're coming back to this. Right, and what better American to play a swarthy foreigner than Vincent Price? It's true. He does have sort of a swarthy appearance if you told if you told most people who's european they'd be like i guess so there's no reason yeah, he's got the, he's got the he's got the pronunciation the, yeah. the sort of upper class elocution of his voice right. even though i think he's from the midwest i mean yeah he's probably very much from it's probably very much a affectation of speech but to to the modern american ear yeah well i mean he was i think my understanding of his background is that he came from a uh not like a rich family but a fairly wealthy family like he was his father owned a factory or something yeah. like that and he sent him to like good schools and that's probably where he learned how to speak properly yeah yeah so I've also got um what was that oh same actress I was wondering <laughs> I oh was it same actress or a same actress oh same actress same actress so we were trying to figure out for a lot of the movie if, if Hester Tillinghast and uh uh Anne Ward were the same actress because they both had that same very like in the same way like that man that head villager had that same like indistinct 50s tough yeah. guy look Ian Ward has a fair amount of dialogue but Hester Tillinghast was only in the movie for a few seconds in the beginning right. I think she had a line of dialogue but it was like almost nothing and they both have dark hair and they're both sort of you know pretty yeah, we just you know we just didn't have enough the problem was really was that Hester Tillinghast didn't leave any kind of impression on you no because she's there for like 10, 30 seconds so we assume that since everyone else in the movie had like a double that had you know like they were a reflection of their right ancestor that we where it was the same thing as being carried over turns out no two different actresses when they're on the screen together is very apparent yeah but you know that's so that was what we were trying to figure out that time did you ever hear read that like an anecdote about mad max about how like the sand makeup and everything no what's the deal it was like they would spend like you know to make up them to, to look all sandy they mm-hmm. would spend like a long time doing like makeup on them but like charlie Theron just like rolled around the sand She's like, I'll just do this. It's way faster this yeah. way. That's like that, um, that, um, well, actually, it's kind of the opposite of the story. It's, I think it's, it's now basically considered to be false, but there's that movie Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. Okay. Do you know that one? No. It's the 70s. It's like, um, is it safe? Is it safe? And the dentist is pulling out his teeth because he's like a Nazi dentist. Okay, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, Lawrence Olivier plays the, um, the villain, the, the, the Nazi dentist, and Lawrence Olivier is like an older English actor. Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman is, um, I believe his character's not supposed to have slept or something in three days or not supposed to have eaten and Dustin Hoffman is like doing this to himself <laughs> and Lawrence Levy goes well my boy that's wonderful but have you tried acting? It's <laughs> 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 called method acting that's how, you, that's, how you, that's how you get the big Grammys yeah I guess the big, all the Grammys <laughs> <laughs> you, get the, you get the top Grammy for that one yeah Dustin Hoffman is a collection of Grammys <laughs> alright so what do you think? What do you think about the haunted palace? Well, I think I think it was eminently watchable. Yeah. I, 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 I'm okay, a, I really like the painting. I forgot the, I forgot oh, the painting. Oh, we didn't talk about the painting. Yep. Um, the painting. Uh, we we think it's supposed to look kind of Van Goghish. It definitely definitely looks Van Goghish. It's it's the haunt. It, there is a this is the there's a portrait in the 
Lovecraft story as well that he finds behind a wall. Yeah. And it's like shocking. It's a shocking moment in the story because it's a portrait that looks like him. Looks exactly like him, which is not even not really common. I guess it is kind of common upon this movie, but right. It feels more significant than Lovecraft story because, like, in this movie, everyone looks exactly like their ancestors. Right, yeah. So it's not really, it doesn't seem like it would be a common for you to find a portrait of your ancestor looking exactly like you. When the whole town is... The whole town is made up of people who look exactly you see, like you. Either you, you see you got ham on your face. Yeah. Or you look exactly like... Yeah. I mean, whatever parts you have not got covered in ham look exactly like your... your... Did you know the ham's curse skips a generation? It just seems to pick off people's bodily. It's like baldness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're bald, sometimes you got ham on you. Yeah. Yeah, so the painting, because it reminded me, I don't know... What is the name of that painting? Oh, I don't know. Star Knight? Yeah, is that the name? Yeah, of it? yeah, that's the one it reminded me of because it had like, a, like, it was just the background was very much the same sort of like bluishness, and it had like the same sort of like swirls to it. Yeah, and it had like, not the exact same. Oh, okay, I know, I know, okay, I know this painting. That's actually not that one. It's one of the other ones, but it's very similar to that one. It's like that one. Okay, but yeah, okay, yes, all oh, right, that is right, very much the same kind of like, yeah, it's got the same sort of like shape, right? Yeah, the same sort of shape. He's posed the same way. I guess more of his body than the, in the pose. He's posed definitely, but like if you look at, but it's, we're looking at Van Gogh's self-portrait, which doesn't play as well an audio. Yeah, but yeah, it's got the same sort of composition, but the colors are very much like Starry Night. Yeah, he used he used really this really thick. Uh, they really laid the paint on. I don't know if there's like a technical term for that. From, from, from it's our, called laying the paint on thick. Yeah, no, there's like a, yeah, exactly. It's not. I, I he wanted to say rococo, but I know that's not it. Rococo is, it is a fun word. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. It's a fun word to say, and I feel like it's applicable in a lot of situations, but I don't think it's applicable here. <laughs> no. But there's, there's a style. Is it chiascuro? I think it might be chiascuro. But I think I, it's I'll, called laying the paint on thick. I'll go ahead. And, I'll go ahead and maybe maybe I'll try to remember to Google that for the show notes. But uh, yeah, I think it's chiascuro. But um, that's the it's the thick the thick paint style and the brush strokes are really um, noticeable yeah evocative and then the color palette that the painting in the movie has is blue and yellow which are very similar and they're very similar blues and yellows to the starry night right and even sort of similar to some of the Van Gogh self-portraits which is like which is you know a very noticeable painting yeah it's a very it's an iconic painting for sure so we like that I like that painting a lot Andrew seemed to like it too and it's um it'd be nice like just hanging on the wall I yeah I would, I would. I wonder if you get like a, a nice reprint, a new, a nice, a nice a repro, repro of that. that. Yeah, I, I, I think this is like, yeah, I, I don't know where all the cool Vincent Price um, painting repros are. I, I've searched for the ones from the Fall of the House of Usher for, for like, forever, on and off for a long time. <laughs> I've never found like repros of them. I wonder if you would have to get them in like old prop. Like sometimes you see sites that these sites have like prop op, prop auctions. Yeah, but I can't. I don't think I can afford to buy a prop from a or a corner. Maybe maybe you can though. Like maybe maybe. Maybe. It feels like actually these kind of props feel like things that are, that are either like super cheap or extremely expensive. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I know that the oh, Fall of the House Usher ones were made by like a, a real fine artist. Yeah, and that like you can go to. I know I went to his website before. Yeah, but like, um, what kind of art did they make? Never mind. It was wordplay. The artist was fine. I was implying. I didn't know what genre they worked in. I know you. This isn't playable for radio, but I'm giving Andrew a confused. <laughs> Backslash horrified look. Sometimes people just don't get wordplay, you know. Yeah, sometimes people just don't get wordplay. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that's, that's actually what your face like summed up in that moment. Like, I just don't understand wordplay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, fine artist. He was very prominent. Or was he a prominent fine artist? Or was he just like? 
I don't. I think he's like a minor artist. Okay. I mean, I don't. Want, I don't want to say it in a derogatory term. I just no, don't but achieved, I, mean, I don't think he achieved great fame. Is what I mean by but that. But that also says something about like the way fine art kind of you know went out of fashion in the well, public sphere. Yeah, there is. There's not many fine artists who achieve any kind of name recognition because there's no patrons to support them anymore. Yeah. Because we're all wage slaves working for the working for the man. I mean, unless you're not. <laughs> what would Picasso do now? Would he have like? Would these guys have Patreons? Yeah, Picasso don't need a Patreon. But uh... I'm Michelangelo. Five thousand dollars a month, and I'll paint on the top of this church. Yeah, right. Well, Shit, did I get yeah. the right guy? Yep. Yeah. Okay. The ceiling. Yep. Yeah. Sistine Chapel. Yep. Yeah. Five thousand dollars a month, and I'll paint on the top of this church. I mean, luckily the church was there to pay for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. They had patrons back then. Yeah. But um, I guess you wanted to come paint your house. That'd be like the five thousand dollar level, right? Whatever. I'll come to paint your house. Yeah. Thank you, Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't survive. Is this a larger comment about how we as a society don't value art anymore? Yeah. When I was in Canada, like every single person I talked to mentioned a different public fund for the arts. Oh please, yeah. Well, yeah. The taxes are so high, Andrew. Like every single other person, like they mentioned, oh, have you heard of this thing? And like every single person, a different, like, here in America, we let the free markets determine our art. They had, a, they had a different name. Like none of these people are doubling up on like these art funds. We give people what they want here. You know what they don't want? What? A bunch art? of pinko art. <laughs> they don't want. Pinko. They're, they're gonna. I don't want. I want to watch The Bachelor and fall asleep at nine o'clock, covered in popcorn. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like not in a, mo- actually... in a moist snuggie. <laughs> Is it moist on the popcorn butter? Could be. Let's not dig too deeply into that. <laughs> that metaphor is it that? It's not a metaphor. Is it not that? <laughs> it's not. I'm literally <laughs> describing America. I don't want a snuggie though. Yeah, well, you're because you're a pinko commie who wants to live in Toronto. So go ahead, go do it. I mean, it's not. I mean, I felt it felt enough like Boston to me. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to read the uh, outro now. Oh, that sounds good. Good idea. Thanks for listening to the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. We talked about the haunted palace. You can visit our website www.goldenagehorror.com for more information, articles, and show notes. There's an ebook on Amazon. It's called All Godless Here. If you ask me real nicely, I'll probably give you a free copy, but it's 99 cents on Amazon if you don't want to talk to me. You can email me a bit at matt at goldenhr.com. If you liked our podcast, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes. You can join the, the literal two of other people who have done it. If you don't want to miss an episode, join our mailing list at our website. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash allgodlessheer. Follow me on Twitter at the Water Method or Andrew at Pizza Pranks. Andrew's website www.pizzapranks.com. The music, the Swan Lake Dub by Dubology. Next week we're going to talk about the fall of the House of Usher. And thanks for listening. The website is goldenhorror.com. Goldenhorror.